come, and we taught on the relationship of children to this church, that they are welcome here. We are springboarding into this week a sermon study on training up young children, training children, and then next week we will be talking about launching teenagers, launching teens. When God said that children were a blessing, uh, he was not kidding. Children really are a blessing. I've got blessings jumping on my couches all the time, even though they're not supposed to. I have children blessing, or I may have blessings smearing their grubby little fingernail or fingerprints all over my walls. The signs of blessings are all over my house. And if you were to visit us late at night, if you were to be a fly on the wall, uh, you would see that Jenny and I spend a good part of our evening straightening up after regrouping from, catching our breath because getting ready for another day of drinking blessings from the fire hose of six going on seven kids who are creative, cute, and admittedly slightly crazy. Children are a blessing, but it's easy to think that if they're a blessing then their clothes would be clean and they would obey cheerfully and they would just say and do cute things. We get married, we pray for kids, we ask God to give us a family, we think we've got this, forgetting that children who are a blessing are nevertheless still conceived in iniquity. Psalm 51.5 You know, were you hoping for a quiet evening at home after a long day of work, but the kids just won't be nice to each other? Were you intending to get the dishes and the chores all done, but here you are taking a kid to the woodshed for the fourth time? Children are a blessing, but that does not mean they are a breeze. And neither are they a simple paint-by-numbers kit. You know, all of us, without challenges, for all of us, without challenges, life would leave us, life would leave us and our kids a bunch of stunted, simplistic, and sinning fools. Challenges are what grow us. Challenges are what grow us up in the Lord. So God, in his great love, sends us problems, trials, hardships that look like a pack of monkeys, and we call them our children. And our task is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, to train them how to straighten up and fly right. And so our sermon text is Proverbs 22, Verse 6, and this is what Holy Scripture says. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank you for your Word, and we thank you for these words in particular. We ask that you would feed us with your Word now. May it be bread of life for us. And whether we're parents, children, grandchildren, or grandparents, or whatever role we might play in the raising of children, the training up of children in this church, we ask that you would speak to us now, and that we would hear the voice of our Heavenly Father speaking to His children. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now one of the more challenging things about reading the book of Proverbs is getting your head around what sort of statements Proverbs actually are. What is it that we're reading here? You know, are these guarantees? Are these guarantees? If so, then why is it sometimes that children trained up in the way that they should go actually depart? Okay, are these imperatives? Are these, you know, are these necessary causations? If so, why are we told to answer a fool according to his folly right after we're told not to answer a fool according to his folly? So, how are we to understand Proverbs? What we need to understand about Proverbs are they are not promises. They are not promises. Biblical Proverbs are not promises. They speak about what is generally true. What is generally true. I heard Douglas Wilson make this point in a rather amusing way. Uh, he said, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and sometimes you wind up in Congress, banning light bulbs for the rest of us. But as a general rule, Hard work leads to wealth, and laziness to poverty, only not in every instance. So when we read in our text, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it, the part of this passage we can trip over is that whole, he will not depart from it. 
That sounds so absolute. That sounds so much like a promise. So much so that anytime a child who grew up in a Christian family departs from the way, you know, we're tempted to conclude, well, probably his parents failed in the training of him. Probably there must have been some mistake they made. There must have been some glaring mistake, problem they had, and they failed, and thus he departed from it because it seems like a promise, you know. And as parents, we can be tempted to think that way. You know, thought I brought him up in the way of the Lord. Thought I trained him up. You know, they have sadly departed. I think I failed. I must have failed. And this is where we need to remember. Proverbs are not promises. They are pointers. In the Bible, Proverbs are not a list of promised outcomes. Do this and you get this. Proverbs are pointers to probable outcomes. They point at, not guarantees, but at a good guide for how life generally goes. Said another way, we don't see a causation in this proverb, but a correlation. You know, it's not causation, it's a correlation. If you train a child in the way he should go, it doesn't mean he necessarily will not depart. That's a causation. This is a correlation. If you train up a child in the way he should go, most often, the correlation is, usually they don't depart. Generally speaking, it's the case that they won't depart. So a point to be made here is not to bear the weight, parents hear this, don't bear the weight that your kid's future is dependent upon you. That's a lie. That's not true. It, you know, here is the truth. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So how your kids turn out is not ultimately dependent upon you. It's ultimately dependent upon God. It's ultimately dependent upon the grace of God actualizing in their life. In our prayer meeting this morning before the service, Brenda Dumont shared a, a prophetic sense that she had. There should be a word of hope here for parents. There should be a word of hope here. You have sown, you have trained your child in the way you've gone. You've put the word into, you've deposited the word into their heart. It's sown into their soul, and God's word does not return void. So have hope. Maybe they've departed for now, but that's still in there. That's still in there. So there's always hope. So there's always hope. So we should not act like our, you know, how our kids depend or turn out depends on us and depends on the grace of God. But then don't throw the baby out with the bathwater either. That would be the other mistake. You know, blow, don't blow off this passage then like there's no correlation between the way you bring your kids up and what becomes of them. There's not a causation, but there is often a correlation. So it's all in the grace of God. And yet, nonetheless, we should work heartily as unto the Lord in the training of our children. Or we might say it like Paul does in 1 Corinthians. You know, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And that's parenting. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. I watered, or I mean, I, I, I planted, I sowed, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. That's parenting. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. So as we examine this passage, let's begin with the way. Point number one, the way. We are to train our children up in the way. The way a child should, what is the way? You know, what is the way? Well, the way a child should go is the way of obedience to Christ. The way is obedience to, that's what this means, obedience to Jesus. The Great Commission is, go therefore and make disciples of all the world, discipling or baptizing them and training them, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. Disciple making is teaching people to observe all that Jesus commanded. And that's what our kids need. That's what, that's what, that's the way that we're, so that when they grow old, when they go off to college, when they get married, when they start a career, that's the path they're on, obedience to Jesus. All right, so pause here for a minute for you adults, kids, kids in the room, a few words to you. Um, I want to ask you a question and see if it turns something in your head. How should you obey? Think about that a second. How should you obey? You know, for many of you, maybe you learned a saying when you were growing up, how you should obey. Maybe you're learning that saying right now. There's a saying that comes in your mind, how should you obey? Fast, happy, and all the way. Okay? Or maybe you learned it some other way. Right away, all the way, and cheerfully. Right? That's how you should obey. That's how you should obey your parents. And kids, we're teaching you to obey that way because that's how you should obey Jesus. 
That's how you obey Jesus. Right away, all the way, and cheerfully. And in fact, obeying your parents is obeying Jesus. Right? Kids, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? It's Ephesians 6, verse 1, right? That's the one you have memorized. Children, obey your dog. No, parents, right? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is, little kids, for this is what? Silly? A fun way to spend the afternoon? No, for this is what? Right! That's correct, yes. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, Kids, do you remember, uh, I've taught you this before, but it's been a while. Do you remember what obey in this, you remember what the word obey means here? It's a funny, funny word. In the original language, the word obey here means to put your ear under. So put your ear under. Kind of funny. And it, it means like you're listening to someone else over you, in authority over you. And so you're, you're listening really carefully because you want to hear them and obey them. Okay, so little kids, if you're taking notes, parents, you're welcome to do this too, but little kids are taking notes, you may just want to draw a picture of yourself, a little stick person with you with a really big ear, and then your mom and dad like yelling into your ear or something like that. Okay, and then you can hang it up on the refrigerator, and that's a, that's a great sermon note to remember for the rest of the week about how to apply this sermon. All right, so that's, that's we, we parent, you know, kids are called to obey your parents, and parents, it's our job, this is a command to them, but this is a command to us as, as well. It's our job to make sure that they know this and that they do it. Our job is to make sure they know this and they do it. We're to teach our children the glory of a happy, submissive spirit to authorities that God has put over us. Romans 13, 1 and 2, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities... Resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Parents, your job is to make sure your kids obey you. But this isn't because you're bigger than them. This isn't because you pay for everything. This isn't because it's your house, your rules. No, they are to obey you, Paul says, in the Lord. In the Lord. Okay? This is what the Lord demands of them, that they are to obey you in the as if they were obeying Jesus because they are they are to obey you in the Lord as if they are obeying Jesus this is how we train up our children this is the way obedience to Jesus but parents this is where we have to make sure we have a real you know if 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 this were an equation there's a really part important part of the equation here that is often missed it is often skipped we go straight to okay how do we do it what does obedience look like you know, and, and how do we enforce it? But think about how, think about what Jesus has taught us about obedience. Think about what Jesus has taught. Okay? One place you can look. John 15, verses 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So, what we learn here is we love Him because He first loved us and to keep His commandments is to abide in His love. To keep, to keep Jesus' commandments is to abide in His love. This is the first thing. If we're going to teach our children to obey the Lord, to obey Jesus, we need to teach our children about obedience in the Lord is obedience to abide in the love of Jesus. He loved us first. He loved us first. He so loved us, and He wants to keep us in His love. And the way we, we are kept in His love, the way we know His love, the way we know His presence, the way we are close to Jesus, the way we have a relationship with Jesus, is through obedience to Jesus. 
We stay in obedience to Jesus. That's where the good life is, because that's, that's where joy is. That's where blessing is. Because if they do this, if they'll obey him, their joy, his joy will be in them and their joy will be full. So we have to teach them to obey you because of Jesus, because they're to obey Jesus, they're obey you in the Lord, and they're to obey Jesus because he loved them first and he so wants them to stay in his love. You're teaching them to obey you in the Lord because he loved them and so wants to be in a love relationship with them. So wants to be close to them. So what we saw last week, he wants them to be near him and he wants his blessings to be on them. So that's the why they need to obey. It's not because you're in charge. And it's not because Jesus is in charge. It's because there's charge, 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 and authority, 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 because that's the way it is. No, it's because of love. And love is kept, love is stayed near to obedience. So we teach them why. It's because he loves. Then we get to the how, right? You're to obey us, obey your parents in the Lord. It is also means in the same way you obey Jesus. You're to teach them to obey you in the Lord, meaning because first he loved us and, and we stayed close to him in obedience. Um, but it's, it also means that you have to teach them how to obey Jesus, which is you're teaching them that they obey you in the same way they obey Jesus. So think about it this way. A parent, every time you're telling your kids, or kids every time you hear your parent, you know, little kids, say like, you know, I hope it's the little kids, when they say, you know, get off the stage. There are musical instruments up there. Don't play up there. hope that's not the teenagers, right? <laughs> They've learned that by now. Um, otherwise, Pastor Bird will get you. <laughs> he has a ministry of getting you. Um, so you say to little kids, get off the stage, stop playing. When you say that, Jesus is saying that. When you say that to your kid, your job is to teach them, Jesus is saying that to your kid. They are to obey you in the Lord. Okay, when, they, when you say, clean your rooms, you've got to teach your kids, Jesus is saying to you, clean your rooms. And how you obey me, your parent, is how you obey Jesus. So in our day and age, it's amazing to see how many Parents believe obedience is impossible. They believe obedience is impossible. You look around and it's staggering to see how many parents are controlled by their children. Right? You can see it in the store. You, you can see it. You can see it everywhere. You can see it here. You can see it everywhere. Right? But let's just take like the, a typical situation. Right? It, we can probably all relate to. You tell a kid, turn that down. Turn that down. Right? They ignore you. Right? They ignore you. So then, what do you do? You say. Turn it down. They ignore you again. So what happens the third time? I said turn that down. And they say, okay. What's happening? What's happened there? Chaos. That's true. What's happening there is your kids know your breaking point. Your kids know your breaking point. He knows how much he can get away with that usually the third time. He knows the third one is where you're actually serious. And so he doesn't have to do it till then. Unless he wants to avoid the yell, yell, maybe he'll do it sooner. It's up to him. Either way, the point is, that's a failure in parenting. Because it's a failure in obedience for the kid. It's a failure in parenting. It's a failure in obedience. But the kid failed because you failed to teach them what obedience is. You haven't trained them in the way they should go. Slow obedience is not obedience. Saying, just a minute, mom, I've got one more thing I want to get done. Just a minute, I want to get, I want to finish this level is not obedience. Fussing and complaining is not obedience. Come on, dad, why did, why did you have to ask me to do it? Yeah, I've done this three times. Can't you ask them to do it? Is not obedience. Arguing and eye rolling is not obedience. Dramatic size is not obedience. Partial obedience is not obedience. Saying they'll do something, but then getting, you know, saying they'll do something, starting it, and then getting distracted, maybe getting distracted by doing something else really cute, is still not obedience. Having to be told more than once is not obedience. Obedience coerced from counting to various numbers 
is not obedience. Obedience resulting from threats of discipline is not obedience. It's not, it's not to say that there shouldn't be discipline. It's not to say that there shouldn't be consequences. Those are good things. We're going to talk about them. Loving discipline is an important tool. But if your commands, if your instructions are only effective when backed up by threats, you're not teaching your kids to obey your commands. You're teaching them to fear your threats. If every instruction is followed up with, do this or else, do this or no more video games, get that done or you're going to be spanked, go do that, or no friends. If you don't get that done, no friends. What are you teaching them? Not to obey your commands, but to flinch at your threats. And that's, listen, that's a lie. Not because you might not do it. It's a gospel lie. You are not teaching them how Jesus teaches us to obey. Now, before we move on, having said that... (laughs) Having said that, well, hold on. Look. Okay, listen. Are there consequences? Yes. Are they going to reap what they sow? Yes. Is there loving discipline? Yes. There definitely is. But real obedience, here's real obedience is motivated by love. True obedience is motivated. It's motivated by love. It's because, it keeps going back, it's because he first loved us. It's because Jesus gave his life for us, and so we obey him out of love. It's because we, we, we want to be in his love. We want to be near his love. This is what we're teaching our kids, that we want to abide in his love. So obedience, obedience is motivated by love, and obedience is our love back to him. It's motivated by love. We want to stay in love, and it's our love, it's our love language back to him. Jesus taught us this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, John 14, 15. So he gave his life for us. Jesus loved us first. He says, if you want to abide in my love, you have to, you have to stay in my love by staying in my commandments. This is why obedience is right. If you want to show your love for me, you get to, you want to, you need to obey me. And so that's why we can't let our children learn that obedience looks like slow and complaining and sighing because that doesn't look like love. It means they're not getting that they are loved and it means that they're not wanting to express love. Obedience motivated by love, love received, love wanting to give, is obedience that looks like, I get to do this. Yeah, I was playing my video game, but I get to do this for Jesus. Obedience right away, all the way, and done cheerfully looks like love. It's love to parents, it's love to Jesus. Okay, now, before we move on, having said obedience is is love and is the way and that it is possible it actually is possible to train your kids to be obedient now i don't want you to think that out of all that i mean if you get this you know if, go home practice this and you know and you will have a golden week like yeah it's just just do it you know just do what the guy on tv said You're like just do just do this and it's all gonna be rainbows and unicorns and smiley faces <laughs> Like that's like that's not that's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm saying do this and you're gonna have weeks that are doozies. I'm saying do this and you're gonna have months that are doozies. You're gonna have seasons that are doozies. That's how it goes. But on the whole, as you're teaching your kids to love the Lord and to love his commandments with you, because you're you know, you too. They ought to be, your kids ought to be with you, making progress in the way that they should go. There ought to be increased blessing. There ought to be light coming out of it. There ought, listen, there ought to be more laughter and more joy in the home. Because Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. So, having said that, that's the way. Let's talk about training children up in it, okay? So, point number two, training up. Training up. The way is obedience to Jesus. Let's talk about training up. We have, in particular, our eyes on young children uh, with an emphasis on little kids, but, you know, think little kid, you know, think toddlers on up through 12 or so, but, but heavy emphasis on littler, okay? So, training up. If I, said, if I said to you, I'm training for a marathon, I said, I'm training for a marathon, you know, after you got done laughing at that, you know, like, (laughs) oh, (laughs) are you, Jace? Wow. 
good. You know, after you got done laughing about that, nevertheless, you would know what I'm talking about, something of what I'm talking about. If I say I'm training for a marathon, it means I'm going to be studying running. It means I'm going to be looking at, thinking about, you know, watching videos about running, reading about running, and it means I'm going to go out there and do a lot of running. It means I'm going to be disciplining myself. It means I'm going to be setting goals. I'm going to be setting bitch marks and, and pressing myself to hit them. And training kids is a lot like that. What's training? It looks like that. Okay, so breaking that down a little bit. Training first takes knowledge. Training first takes knowledge. You have to study. You have to learn. And so teaching is central to training. Teaching is central to training. We have to teach our kids, but we have to remember our children are only children. Right? Psalm 139. Remember their frames. So we have to remember they're just kids, you know, and the littlest ones have only been here for a short time. Like they only just got here. So no, they don't actually know you're not supposed to climb onto the table and then jump onto the chandelier. Like they don't know that. And so you, you literally have to teach children everything except how to sin. They figure that one out on their own. Everything else you have to teach them. You, so teaching is central to training, and you really do need, they really do need to be taught and reminded a lot, right? So, I mean, as parents, we can go through it like, I've been saying this for so long. And, you know, my refrain to that in my own head is, and how long has been the Lord saying it to me? Right? Like, discipleship is apprenticeship. It's just learning from Jesus your whole life. Right? And most Sundays, I get up here and say things that you already know. Most Sundays, I'm getting up here and just repeating things. You know, if, you're, if you're here because you're thinking you're going to learn something new, like that's not 90% of most Sundays. I'm here to renew your mind. Yeah, I'm doing the task of reminding you. What was the problem of Israel? They kept forgetting. They kept forgetting. And that's, that's all of discipleship. Welcome to life. We go, we learn, we forget, and we need our minds renewed. What is parenting? You teach, they forget, they need renewed. So we really do need to teach and remind a lot, especially when they're young. And the fact that they need to be taught about everything and reminded regularly, that is actually a divine design feature, not a bug. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's, you're teaching, you're training them up for discipleship to Jesus. You're teaching them, this is how that thing works. Kids really do need to be taught everything and they need to be taught all the time. And parents, this is a command for you. This is a command to you, Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. You shall teach them the commands of God, the law of God, diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Parenting is a full-time job. It's not a 9-to-5 gig. It's not a you know wake-up-till-you-put-them-down-at-night job, because it happens all day long, everywhere you go, and sometimes even at night. Right? When you lie down, the passage says, right? And we all know about this. You finally lay down, you find, you know, you finally get the chores done, you finally get the dishes done, you go lay down in your bed, you pick up the book, and then you hear, Mom! And, you know, what's your heart do, parents? What's your heart do? Let me ask you, you know, I put this to the kids, so let me ask you now, yeah, are you ready to go instruct? Fast, happy, and all the way? Right? Kids, hold your parents accountable. (laughs) Mom, I need some parenting, and you don't seem happy about it. (laughs) I might need a discipline, but, you know, be happy. (laughs) Parents, you want to ask yourself, are you being obedient to the command to teach, to instruct your kids, Are you prompt to do so? Are you thorough in doing so? Are you cheerful in doing so? God gave you children, and he commanded you teach them all the time, 24-7. So how are you doing in that obedience category? If you are grumbling, listen, if you are grumbling, if you are complaining, if you are dragging your feet, if you are saying, you know, I'm too tired for this, it's just too hard, I just need a break. You know, if you're elbowing your spouse saying, it's your turn out of annoyance, right? Not accountability, but annoyance. What are you teaching your kid? That that's the standard of obedience. That that, so 
Don't get us up at them when they say, oh, do I have to? You know, why? Uh, can't they do it? I'm too tired. I just need a break. They're just learning obedience from you. If we're going to teach them obedience, we need to model obedience. So teaching is central to training. Second, practice is essential to training. Practice is essential. To really know something, you've got to practice it, right? So to return to the marathon analogy, if all I did was study running, if all I did was read books, read blogs, watch videos about running, but I didn't go out and do it, and actually get out there and do the running, then I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to succeed. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to make it through the marathon. But sadly, a lot of parenting looks like that. Send them off to Sunday school, give them the VBS, have family devotions, you know, buy lots of little Christian kids books and read it to them. You know, talk, 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 instruct, instruct, read, 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 teach, 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 words, 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 words. But then they're thrown all of a sudden into the game of life, right? You're having a friend over for dinner, you're having some friends over for dinner, and you've told the kid that when they're greeted by that stranger, they need to say hello, you told them right before they got there. You said, listen, when they greet you, you look them in the eye and you say, and you tell them hi. And then what happens? That per- your big bad stranger friend walks into the door and leans over and says, hello, kid. Right? Like, so that's how they hear it. And they go, huh. And they go, huh. And you're like, I told them to say hi. Yes, you told them, but you did not practice it with them. You did not prepare them properly for that. A good deal of instruction is preparing them you know, with instruction and then practicing it. Teach them how to behave at the grocery store and then practice it. Talk about how to behave when the cousins are over and then practice it. Talk about how to behave at the dinner table or how to behave at church and then practice it. You know, last night uh, with my kids, we played the obedience game. Uh, It's a game that we've played before. Uh, It's really great when children are young. You just get a bowl full of candy and put it on the table, and you give kids random commands. And they have to obey without complaining, without sighing, without, you know, you you gave this to them, and I have to do this, right? So it's like, Caleb, go get your pillow. And he says, yes, dad. And then he runs up and gets it. And then he comes back, gets a piece of candy. And then I say, Caleb, you know, or no, actually I said, I think I said to one of the other kids, you put Caleb's pillow away. So they had to go put Caleb's pillow away. And then they get a piece of candy. And then I, I said, I eventually came around. I said to Caleb, you go get your, go get a Legos. Go get a Lego set. So he went, yes, dad. He goes to get a Lego set. I get a piece of candy. And I say, now put your Legos away. Because that's a command he hears a lot. <laughs> so we're going to practice it, right? Put your, your legs away. Yes, Dad. And then he goes, goes away, right? I said, you know, then I'm really mean because like the older ones, I'm like, well, you have to hug your sister. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, oh, now you got to do it and you don't get a piece of candy, right? Actually, I was nice and I gave half a piece of candy and I told Jenny afterwards, I really shouldn't have done that. That just defeats the whole purpose. But so I repent in front of you all. <sighs> But you're practicing. What, what are we doing? We're, we're instructing, we're practicing, and we're making it fun. We're making it fun. Right? Because there should be joy in us, and our joy should be full. What happens when your friends come over, and they start playing with your favorite sword? That's what you're preparing your kid for. How are you going to respond? You know? How, how are you going to respond, kid, when they start playing with your favorite stuffed animal? How are you going to respond, you know, how are you going to respond when this happens or that happens? Practice it. Prepare them, practice it, and make it a blast. Right? Make it, give them, you know, plan ahead of time, prepare ahead of time, run the play ahead of time, and then give them high praise, high fives, and lots of candy. That's what works for our family. You do this when they're young, and listen, you keep doing this as they get older. Okay, so it's not so much the obedience game anymore. They still like candy, but they don't want to play games anymore, but you, you talk to them, right? So, son, you're going into seventh grade. What do you think's coming? Your daughter, you're going into ninth grade. What do you think is coming? You're being invited out with friends for the first time without an adult. You know, what do you think? What's gonna? What are you gonna do when a friend suggests something stupid? You know, what are you gonna do when one of your friends snubs you? How are you gonna respond to that? Let's just talk it out. Here's some candy. You do it a lot when they're young, but you keep preparing them even when they're older. So, teaching, practice, and then finally we'll look at correction and discipline. 
big part of training is also correction and discipline. While you wouldn't know it, <clears throat> while you wouldn't know it from most Disney movies, the hearts of children are not repositories of wisdom and knowledge. Shocker for some of us, right? Rather, the Bible teaches us, Proverbs 22, verse 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of a discipline drives it far from him. Notice in this verse, it does not say innocence is bound up in the child. It does not say that you know their heart is a, is a repository of wisdom and knowledge. No, it says folly is bound all up. It's chained all around and into their heart. But the verse goes on to say, the rod of discipline, the rod of correction, drives it far from him. This means, in the ordinary course of things, when Christian parents faithfully seek to drive foolishness from their children, little children through spanking, you know, older, older kids from loss of privileges, God blesses children with wise hearts. With wise hearts. This is what the Bible teaches. You know, spanking for kids when they're young, you know, Wisdom here is needed, but, you know, maybe one to six or something like that. Loss of privileges afterwards. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but parents who faithfully, lovingly, and consistently spank or, you know, correct their children will drive that foolishness out of their hearts. This is what God says. This is what's in his word. You know, but some would say, you know, yeah, but, but pastor, you know, I've read blogs about kids who were raised in a home that spanked. And now they're deconstructing. You know. But pastor, studies say, right? Studies say, you know, studies teach that spanking just teaches your kid to hit. Okay? Well, studies also used to say, you know, cutting people and letting them bleed would make them better. You know? <laughs> studies say all kinds of things. <laughs> and that's why studies are revised, that's why textbooks are revised every year. Studies say all kinds of things. Textbooks need revised. You know what never needs revised? The word of the Lord. It stands forever. So when studies contradict God's clear word, when testimonies contradict God's clear word, well, you have to choose this day whom you're going to serve. You have to choose this day. Who will you serve? You may sincerely think sparing the rod is loving your child, but according to God, you are hating them. You are hating them. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and God has designed us in such a way that faithful, loving, and consistent discipline drives the folly out. This is the way. Proverbs 3, verse 12, For the Lord reproves him who he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. The rod, lovingly administered, is love. The the rod, lovingly administered, is love. But the rod is not automatically love. Spanking in anger or frustration is not love. Neither is it love to administer the rod long after an offense has been committed. And this is especially true the younger they are. The younger they are, the more immediate the discipline needs to be. The younger they are, the more immediate they need to be disciplined. And listen, this is all important because children don't know how to think or how to feel about sin. Children don't know how to think or how to feel about sin. Their thinking and their feelings are being developed on this. And so one of the most important reasons for disciplining your children is actually teaching them how to think and how to feel about sin. Listen, if your, your little boy hits his sister because she took a toy from him, you know, if he hits her and he gets it back and you ask him, how do you feel about that, hitting your sister? You know, he's going to say, if you just ask them, you know, without that tone or that look, if you just ask them, how do you feel about that? He's going to say, I feel pretty good. Like, she took it, I hit her, I got it back. I mean, this is justice served, Dad. Like, I'm feeling good about this. Right? He doesn't know how to feel about his sin or how to think about it. And so, with discipline, we are teaching him that's not something good to think, uh, that's not a good way to feel about this. Sin can feel good, but it shouldn't. 
Sin can feel good, but it shouldn't. And discipline teaches us how to think and feel about sin. Now, parents, with that being said, some toddlers will require battles of the will. Some toddlers will require, but you know, teenagers will too. And, and young you know, in-betweeners will as well. But the, bat, the battle lines are drawn when they're toddlers, when they're young. So parents, you must commit to fight the fight early on, and you must commit to winning the battle. To winning the battle. This, require, this might require stretches of hours, days, or even weeks of intense focus. And dads, you must take the lead on this. This is why God has given you broad shoulders. You must bear this weight. You must take this lead. You must do the hard work. Even if you have to leave your child at home with his wife through most of the day, this is your task. You come home and your kid answers to you. Your kid answers to you. Now, I know to mom and dads, let me just say, I know these battles can be incredibly frustrating. I know that it can ruin evenings. It can ruin plans. It can ruin vacations. And often it doesn't feel like you're getting anywhere. Often it does not feel like you're winning. But don't give up because the peaceable fruit of righteousness is worth it. The peaceable fruit of righteousness is worth it. Hebrews 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Listen, it feels that way to the kid, it feels that way to the parent, it feels that way to the family. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. One more thing about discipline. I said it should be lovingly administered, but it also needs to be gospel-centered. It also needs to be grace-saturated. This is a swift and sweet thing when they're young, but when they're older, it takes a little bit longer. That the climax of discipline should not be the spank. Right? Think about, think about taking your kid to the restroom to, to discipline them, to administer. This, the climax should not be the spank. The climax should be the celebration after that of God's gracious forgiveness and freedom in Jesus Christ. The aim of discipline is not really the spank. And the aim of discipline isn't even driving the folly out of them. The aim is the celebration of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So when you discipline, you know, sometimes in short bursts and sometimes in longer explanations like this one, you should be talking about salvation. You should be saying, son, isn't it wonderful? I mean, daughter, isn't this incredible? You and I, we're both sinners condemned to death. We deserve to die. We should go to hell forever. But Jesus brought us out of that. He went down into death we deserve. He was crucified for our sins. God raised him from the dead so that we might be delivered, so that we might be saved. Isn't that incredible, son? Isn't that incredible, daughter? There should be happy, you know, then they're going to look at you like, what's going on? And this is when you tickle them and you show like, there's forgiveness, there's joy, there's laughter, there's freedom in Jesus. You've been forgiven of your sins. We've got to celebrate grace. That's why I love to sing a song. Usually, you know, you know, sing with me, kids. You know, not you don't have to right now, but you know, I want them to sing with me. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, so let's sing it. And so we come out of the bathroom laughing and tickling and giggling because there is joy in Jesus and His forgiveness. We are Christians. This means we know what to do with sin. So the tenor of our discipline must be one of somber reflection over what was done, honest confession, followed by joyful celebration of forgiveness. All right, in conclusion, in conclusion, I want to share, let me share an illustration with you that is both instruction for today, but also a bridge towards next week and the topic of teenagers. Many of you parents will probably have the opportunity to help one or more of your kids learn how to ride their first bike. Lessons begin with lots of hovering and holding on. Holding the bike upright. And you can feel the bike wavering back and forth. You know, your kid's not holding the bike upright. You are. But as your child begins to learn how to pedal and learn how to balance themselves and all that, what you, what you do is you begin to loosen your grip a little bit. And you really need, you, you, you have to do that because they have to start to feel the tension and the momentum and the balance in, the, in riding the bike, that whole sensation. And they have to learn how to begin to control that for themselves. So you loosen your grip, and then finally, at some point, 
you let go. Maybe only for a few seconds at first. I'm just going to let go for a second. Okay, I'm back. I'm let go. Okay, I'm back. Okay, I'm back. Go. Go. And this is what this is what Christian parenting should be like. In the beginning, lots of hovering and holding on. And then slowly loosening your grip with slight corrections. You're allowing them to, to start to feel the consequences of their choices. So that by sometime in high school, you really do need to let go. You need to let go. You stay right there. You're still running close to them. You're still staying near. But you're letting go. You, and, and I say in high school because you really want to do this when you're still around. I think it's a big mistake to hover and hold on to your kids until they're 18 and you send them off to college or you send them off on a career and you think at that point that's when you let go. Well, then you're letting go and there's, there's, no oppor- there's very little opportunity for your accountability, for your counsel, for your nearness in their life. It's better when they are a junior in high school, when they're 16 or 17 years old, you to say to them, okay, listen up, son. I've taught you. I've trained you. And now it's time for you to make your own decisions. Okay, you're still going to, listen, you're still going to live at home these next couple of years. Which means there's house rules you have to obey still. And you still got to honor your, your mom and your siblings. But most decisions you can make on your own now. And me and your, me and your mom, we're here to help. You know, we're here to counsel and advise. We do reserve veto power. (laughs) That's still there. But our commitment to you is to use it only in the case of emergencies. At 16 or 17, you've got to let go of the bike. You've got to let them ride while you run behind them. So if they crash or if they call out for help, you can be right there to help them. You can help them. But you're letting them learn how to ride on their own. So that's the metaphor, and the principle is this. You're teaching them to internalize the standard. To internalize the standard. What you're providing at the beginning, that balance and that momentum, is what they have to internalize for themselves. They have to learn to know that themselves and to trust it. You want them to feel that and to go with it. And likewise with parenting, the aim in training our children is for them to internalize those standards, to feel the goodness of them and to trust them and to grow in trusting them. To know them, to trust them, and even to come to love them. Okay, let me show you this in Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7, the passage we looked at a little bit earlier. It begins with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Internalize them. Don't just know them. On your heart. Love them. Trust these commands and standards. They're good. In your heart you say, these are good and right. Once you've done that, it's not actually a wait, but once you've done that, verse 7, then you shall teach them diligently to your children. You see how this all works? It begins with, love the Lord, internalize His Word, put His Word on your heart, love it, trust it, and then teach your children out of that. So you're not just teaching them what's right or wrong, you're teaching them, this is good, this is trustworthy, this will keep you. Love this standard. Okay. Parents, this is the goal of parenting. To teach them to love God's standards. To love His law as love for Him. As abiding in His love. This is the aim of parenting. To internalize God's Word and to love His ways and to so love Him. You do this so that, you do this when they're young. You emphasize when they're young so that when they're 17 and their friends invite them to watch some crude comedy or, or the newest blockbuster with that sex scene that Plugged In Online warned you about and, and they're invited to it, they don't say, 
no, I'm not going to go because I'm not allowed. They say, I am allowed, but I don't want to. I can make my own choices. My parents have given me this, this right, this ability. I've, I've internalized God's word. His standard. I don't want to. When the Lord gave us the Ten Commandments, He prefaced it with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says, I am the God who saved you. I am the Lord who set you free. And you want to know what freedom looks like? You want to know how to live in freedom, not in bondage? You shall have no other gods before me. He delivers us And then his law teaches us how to live out freedom. How to live out goodness in his kingdom. God's laws are the standards of freedom. We get to worship him. We were bound. Now we get to. We get to honor the authorities in our lives. We get to honor marriage and so on and so on. We get to do. These are the standards of freedom. This is the freedom we have been brought into. And we can love them. We can love, we want our kids to love them because he first loved us. Because he delivered us. Because he saved us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And these commandments that I give to you, set them on your heart. Then, teach your children diligently. Walk in them. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, Lord, we, we thank you that you are our Father, and you give us words of life. Lord, we pray that before we go here, from here and think about you know, ways to improve our parenting, or things that we need to work on that we haven't been doing, or before we go from here and you know, have the opportunity to to you know, look back and maybe feel regret for what we've done. Uh, Lord, what we just do is, we just first, we receive this word from you. This commandment, as good and right. These words are true. These words are right. This is the way of freedom and of life. And we thank you for giving them to us. God, having received your word as good and right, we now respond properly to it. Some of us need to repent. Some of us need to rejoice. Some of us need to go and get to work. So God, we pray that you would help us to live out your word and to celebrate it, that your joy might be in us and our joy might be full.